I feel like the luckiest guy in the world to be a part of this business. I think as a broker, I feel insanely lucky to get to speak with people like you, people like my clients, you know, owners who have built hundreds of million hundreds of millions of dollars of value in their business. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast, the podcast dedicated to simplifying the commercial real estate industry for the masses. Each week, we sit down with industry experts to dissect the many facets of commercial real estate and extract valuable lessons you can apply to your business. Whether you're a new or seasoned business owner or investor, the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast will be your go-to resource for all your commercial real estate needs. Now, here are your hosts, Rafael Collazo and Jeff Walston. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast. I'm your host, Rafael Collazo, here with my co-host, Jeff Walston. How's it going, my friend? Going great. Uh, business deals are going great. Uh, close, finalizing some of the big, larger construction projects I got going on, so I'm excited about that. Actually, uh, it's a couple churches, so uh, they bless me for the opportunity to build their, their church out, so I love that. Uh, so, But what about you, Rafael? How's it going over there? No, that's great. I heard about those two two churches, and then you're doing quite a few retail buildouts too. So that's kind of cool yeah. to see that as well. But uh, everything's good on my end. I've got a lot of activity, uh, especially on the leasing front. Uh, you know, the buy side has been kind of iffy with what's been going on with interest rates, but leasing, especially in the retail space, has just been gangbusters. Uh, but Justin Ryder, uh, actually a, f- a friend of ours, he actually is down the road, not too far away in Lexington. He's a, I actually, he's a neighbor. Yeah. He's a neighbor. I actually had the me- the pleasure of meeting him at a CCIM event uh, relatively recently. Obviously, we, we had interacted on LinkedIn, but I'd never actually physically met him. And I met at a CCIM event recently. So it was really cool to get to talk to him and his his his, his partner, Matt Stone. So, Justin, welcome. Fantastic to be here, guys. Appreciate the opportunity. Nothing like having a ruthless competitor on on your own show ruthless competitor I, i'm just i'm not i'm, I'm just shopping i know no, it's fun to be it's fun to be in a similar market i know we've worked a little bit in louisville you do in lexington as well and mm-hmm. uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak with a commercial real estate rock star cre rock star and love what you guys are doing on the show so hopefully i can contribute something to the the growing audience listening to uh listening at home or in the car working out Absolutely. No, and 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 we're we're excited to dive into your backstory a little bit because you know we talked a little bit offline. You do have a lot of experience in the podcasting space as well. But uh, but just to start out, I'm kind of curious about you know your background. So that's typically what we like to ask our guests. Uh, so if you can kind of share your backstory, I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think I would start off. You know, Jeff mentioned doing work for a couple of uh, churches when we started those conversations. So I actually cut my teeth and. Uh, a nonprofit leadership role. Um, actually, the company's called Young Life. And I spent some wonderful, blessed years, rich years, very full years in uh, working in that ministry on staff with hundreds, thousands of people, many of them adolescents. It added a lot to my life. Uh, met my wife through that organization, which I'm very thankful for. And all of that sort of rolled into Um, working in commercial real estate. My broker, Matt Stone, and one of my best friends owns the SVN franchise in Lexington. He invited me in about five years ago, and I've been doing it every second of every hour during the day since then. Um, 
And I would say one one thing that I may kick us off that came in from Young Life is it's just, that ministry is all about relationships. And as you guys know, what we do is all about relationships too. Um, I try to have a pretty, I won't say major because sometimes it's small, but I put some major effort into building relationships here locally, relationships online, whether it's LinkedIn posts, Twitter posts, that kind of thing. You know, those things turn into um, rubbing elbows with people, being in person. And as you guys know, this business, it's all about people. It's not about price. It's not about square footage. All that is secondary. It is about people and understanding what they want and who they are. So um, that's a little bit about me background wise and sort of how I formed kind of how I think about the world, um, my life, faith and that kind of thing. And then also just how I operate day to day. That's awesome. No, and, and you you touched on the fact that, you know, you started out in a different career path, which I feel like is relatively common to, to, when I have conversations with people. Obviously, there's some people that just get straight into the business from college or maybe they have a family member in the business. But for a lot of people, you know, myself included, it was one it was a career pivot for me. So it, so I so I, and I think and taking that that the, the perspectives and the skills that you that you took from your previous career into commercial real estate, I'm sure served you immensely well especially the relationship building piece, connecting with people on a personal level and, and spiritual level that makes it, it makes a big impact. Yeah. There might be people out there who are pivoting right now um, and potentially they're listening to this. My first thought is to be jealous. There's, there's simply nothing like pivoting into something new that you can sink your teeth into. Um, when I started, I read every book I could find on commercial real estate talked with everyone who knew something about it. They said some hilarious things in hindsight. We could talk about some of those. Um, some really bad advice that turned out well for me. Um, uh, and, and there's some funny stories there, but there's nothing like that time. I won't forget it. You know, you don't forget your first deal. Um, you don't forget the first relationships you had, the first time you sort of learned, okay, what what is this really about? How does it work? Um, you know, just something as simple as taking CCIM 101. You mentioned we met at a CCIM event. CCIM 101 changed my life. I had the, the greatest professor, one of the coolest guys I've met in the industry named Blaine Strickland. He's a coach out there. He writes uh, books, most recently Thrive and Adapt, all about the industry, highly recommend. And he made 101 accessible, entertaining, fun. And I left thinking, well, I could underwrite any building. You know, it doesn't matter how complex the situation is, I can tackle it. And I can explain it to someone on the back of a napkin over coffee. And it's like, that's where the real deals happen right in front of people. It's nice to be able to do a complex spreadsheet, but you also got to be able to draw it out on the back of a napkin. And he's sort of the one who, who uh, brought that into my life. That's so, awesome. I didn't know Blaine was a, a CCIM professor. I actually read his I don't book. Good. Yeah. I've read both. I don't his know books. if he still does or not. Yeah. No, I read both his books and dude, they're game changing. I mean, they are phenomenally impactful books and you know, he's obviously strictly in the commercial real estate space. So um, yeah, <laughs> you got him a few in there. there they are. <laughs> Thrive and I adapt. I was just going man. through them uh, writing a Twitter thread actually yesterday. So I had a few out uh, looking through. Um, but yeah, I, I would say, you know, we started that with, with pivot there's so much out there today you almost have to sort through it um and i think back to like 
I mentioned a couple of the funny conversations I had. I actually sat down with someone who said to me, okay, your first year. And I said, yeah. And they said, here's my advice. Do 45 quality transactions. And I was like, wow, that seems like a, a lot. So I set out thinking, well, that's maybe a normal thing. Um, and I don't know if you guys, <laughs> I don't know how many you did in your first year, but so that first year I made it to like 33, 34, something like that. And I felt super disappointed and called him and he was like, oh man, I was just kidding. Like nobody can get 45 quality transactions in one year, but I, that's still almost today, five years in, that's what I count. You know, I mean, it, it is, it's great to count money, great to count fees, whatever, all that's necessary. I don't really count that. I, I, I really look more at quality transactions, meaning it's a served client who feels good about the process, whether you rep them on the sell or the buy or lease or lease or mm -hmm. they felt like I trusted you and you got me through this. That's one. So if you can do that 45 times a year ish, you're going to come out okay on the other side and you know, your phone's going to be ringing off the hook. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I, it, the unique thing, and I know we'll touch on this briefly, but the, the, the commercial real estate business in particular is very much for, for the most part, a recurring business. You get recurring business from the same, same people. Like I've been doing business with several investors and, and other business owner clients since I started in the business. And we've, you know, done several deals together over the course of this three to four year period that I've been in the business. And, you know, now they're, they're, they're like, I'm a, tr I'm their trusted advisor. So if they ever have any questions or ever want to do anything in the real estate space, I'm the first person they call. And I feel like I'm sure you have a lot of those relationships that you've developed over time as well. So. Um, I am, I'm, I'm lucky to have some of them, you know, the goal is 125 of those clients who need a transaction every three to five years. Mm -hmm. That in the back of my mind is sort of like, if I could get there, then, you know, your prospecting and that sort of thing takes care of itself. Um, because those people are calling you saying, Hey, I need a transaction. And then as you need to add, or as people retire or transition out of the business, you know, you can replace that. But if, but that's sort of, that's also a plain Stricklandism, but if you can get up to 125 clients, you can pretty much rely on, okay, I'm going to connect with, um, three to five of them every week, check in on them, see how it's going. We're going to cycle through over the next three to five years. I'm going to help them. Um, I like that idea. I'm a little bit of a pioneer spirit. So like my favorite part of this business is the prospecting. Um, the times I get most frustrated in this business are when I don't have people to call, um, you know, meaning I've got to dig in and like look up who the person is and try to get a hold of them or whatever. But my, when I'm, best in this business. I've got a list of people. My mindset is let me call them, see how I can help them uh, maximize value or opportunity. That's amazing. Oh, that's awesome. So I know earlier you were saying that you, your, your friend is kind of how you kind of got into the business. Uh, and I was just wondering, once you got in, what were some of the early struggles and what did you know, how did you overcome them? Yeah, that's a good question. It's always a struggle to ramp up. Um, so, you know, it, it, for anyone who's pivoting or thinking through, 
you know, you, you sort of join into this business with people telling you, hey, it's probably going to be three, six months, maybe a year before you make a ton of money. That can be a little stressful and also a little far-fetched. I mean, I think if you're willing to get in and work, it probably won't be a year. It shouldn't be a year. Um, but my struggles were finding, like anyone, finding my place. Um, commercial real estate agents do better when they specialize. It's not absolutely necessary or possible even in a small town setting. Uh, but certainly in bigger cities, bigger areas, you're specializing, you're getting your, you, you know, you understand sort of the, the market like the back of your hand. You, you know every building by name, um, you know the market rents, you know what's going on, that sort of thing. So I think picking your spot is hard to do in the beginning. You have to enjoy it. Um, you know, it has to be a sizable enough market that you can take a, a chunk of it, potentially capture five to seven mark percent market share in your first year or so, and then feel like, okay, I can, I'm floating, I'm rolling, and now I can add to this. Um, so that was a struggle. Then I think picking technology, you know, finding a CRM, getting into a process, the job is all encompassing. It'll take every hour. You'll want to work every hour of your life unless you set parameters, get the stuff done that you want to do during those, those hours, and then have time for family, friendships, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but it, there's no ceiling, as you guys know, and as many people get into real estate because they don't want a ceiling. You know, they want to grow. They're entrepreneurs. That's me. That's my heart. I've always wanted to, to have my own business. And, you know, so getting into it, the sky's the limit. Um, that fact probably outweighed more, uh, you know, more than anything, that fact propelled me into getting through the struggles, figuring it out as I went and looking towards the future. That's amazing. And and I, I'm sure you would even attest to being at the right, you know, in the right place. You know, I would imagine having your best friend there that was kind of been through the, 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 the ringer and has been able to provide you with feedback. And I mean, that that's I, what I credit a lot of, you know, even my little success that I've had is, is a big part of it is the environment that I've been in, you know, so I, I, I don't know if you would, would feel the same way. Um, I, I try and write a lot about this and I mean it 85% of the time, just like anyone who writes anything, but, um, I try to lead with thankfulness mm -hmm. and I think your point is probably the most important that we'll touch on today. Um, we live in the greatest country of all time in the time of the most freedom where there's more money, more opportunity. You know, we, we had a lot of people in Kentucky, you know, um, listening to this, we had a bad, some really bad storms two Fridays ago, and we were without power for like six days or something. And my wife kind of <laughs> was going a little bit nuts. My kids are, you know, uh, been out of shape and we end up at an embassy suites one night. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, and I, and I got to tell them guys, this, these are first world problems. And I sincerely mean that like this, this is how people used to live all the time without power. Um, so I, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world to be a part of this business. I think as a broker, 
I feel insanely lucky to get to speak with people like you, people like my clients, you know, owners who have built hundreds of million hundreds of millions of dollars of value in their business. Um, I get to talk with them every day. And why? Because I have a real estate license and I've studied. I mean, there's no barrier to entry to have some of those conversations in a sense. Um, you know, brokerage sort of opened that door. So I feel super thankful to be where I'm at. And I try to approach every day like that. That's awesome. No, that's a great perspective to have, regardless of what profession you're in, but especially in the brokerage space where, you know, again, we're entrepreneurs, we're getting out there and we're really trying to establish relationships with the right people to make sure we can serve them as best as possible. So one thing I'm kind of curious about, and obviously I think in any business, um, I think one of the things that a lot of people struggle with, and I know I struggled when I, when I first got in the business was replicating structure. Because when you're in an, when you're in a, a corporate environment, for example, you, you've you've got your your systems kind of already laid out. It's it's very much a you know you do this in the morning, you do this, you do this, you do that. There may be a hierarchical structure where people are kind of telling you how to operate within this environment. And when you go into brokerage, it is purely entrepreneurship. It's like it's your responsibility to kind of take care of all these things you need to take care of on a day to day. So my question really is, what systems do you implement in your business? to really make sure that you do what you need to do on a day-to-day to make sure that long-term you're going to be thanking yourself at that point uh, in, the, in, the, in the future? Yeah. I mean, I, I try to kill being a reactive entrepreneur and unfortunately brokerage turns you into, it can turn you into a reactive person. Um, so you, you want to be proactive. You want to time block. You know, you want to set uh, two to three hours every day aside for business development. And then what happens? Current deals and that sort of thing creep in. You end up being reactive versus proactive in um, developing new business and relationships. Um, I won't say I'm the best at structure. I think in this job, you know, just to be honest, I'm a really good deal technician. Like I'm good at getting things closed and I'm very detailed. So I like to do that check boxes and get the project on, um, you know, those deals sort of bother me. <laughs> they, they bother me, uh, insanely up, keep me up at night until they're closed, um, which makes us good at our job, but it also kind of makes me more reactive throughout the day. Um, so you know, I kind of think of things to answer your question, an overarching view I have is you need to be working on the business and in the business. And for me, it's not half and half at all. But if I can get two to three hours a day where I'm working on uh, the business in the form of planning, writing, marketing, and business development, then I'm, I'm probably going to spend the rest of the day. You know, I've got five to seven deals under contract right now. They all take various levels of attention every day to sort of get to that next step. Um, that's going to be the in the business piece of what I'm doing. So a little bit on, a little bit in, try to balance those time block as much as possible. Um, that's my goal. That's awesome. It really is. Um, so I'm just curious. I, I know I, I kind of look into for everyone that's listening, Louisville and Lexington is, the outskirts of each city, you can probably get there in an hour easy. Uh, but to actually get in, and I don't really go over there that often. 
so I'm very curious of how the Lexington market's doing uh, and then to see if there's any like hotter trade areas or corridors within the city limits that uh, is uh, maybe turning around or slowing down. I'd just be curious to see how it's doing. Yeah, the Lexington market's great. I mean, I've had a lot of people tell me it's like one of the best kept secrets. Yeah. Uh, just on the edge of the South, you know, we're not technically Midwest. Lexington sort of is the beginning of the South. It's got a great culture, um, great horse feel. Unlike Louisville, it is the horse capital of the world and the bourbon capital of the world, although Louisville is now claiming those uh, two things, which is funny. Uh, we joke our Louisville friends about that. But um, as far as the commercial property goes, we're surrounded by horse farms. The urban service boundary in Lexington is not expanding per se. It's sort of hard to get projects approved. Therefore, commercial value holds its, um, or commercial property holds its value really well. Uh, rents stay, you know, consistent going to the right or have for the last decade or so. Um, and it's a great market. Hot places, you know, we were built around the University of Kentucky. Um, the edge of campus is always hot area. Um, multifamily um, stuff is going great here. You know, I'm tracking about 1,200 properties for about 39,000-ish units. Um, and we're certainly down from like Q1-21 uh, to Q2 or Q4-21 to Q4-22. You know, we are down certainly 90% or, or more like much of the country. Um, but sales are still happening, still consistent. If you're coming to Lexington, I would certainly check out Keeneland. You know, I'd go downtown. I'd probably go to Jeff Ruby's, um, which I know Louisville has one too, but it's a great, uh, fantastic restaurant for us. Maybe Tony's, Cole's, Carson's, um, something like that. I would definitely do a UK game at Rupp Arena, passionate Wildcat fan um, as an alum. And other, <clears throat> other than that, I'd do probably West Six Brewery or Mirror Twin Brewery and um, – you know, have a good time at one of those places. So lots to offer, 330,000 people. Um, so pales in comparison to Louisville's 1.3-ish, right? In the metro, in the metro, correct. The metro, yeah. yeah, but I think that, that 1.3 includes southern Indiana, I think, like Jeffersonville and New Albany as well, like the metro. Okay. Whatever feeds well, which into are, Louisville. Yeah. Which are killer areas too. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, I'll say my, my, uh, daughter's play for LSC we've been over a couple times to to Louisville to see the um Lou City play at Lynn Family Stadium oh, yeah. so we yeah. we now have a, a minor sort of a, a LS or a USL1 team I believe Lou City's USL2 so we now have a USL1 and are going to have a little stadium and stuff so Lexington Sporting Club so we'll see you guys on the field uh -oh. um when they when they crush Lou City no it's probably exactly <laughs> You never know, man. You never know. There's been, I'm sure there's crazier things that have happened, but I actually really like uh, Lexington as, as a whole as well. I mean, I think you guys have done a very good job with your downtown area in particular. You know, I think yeah. you guys have the way the walkability is extremely, I mean, it's great. Um, you know, so I, and, and maybe you could even, even comment on it briefly. Like how, how is the, the Metro council mayor, I guess, what is the long-term vision in that, in that regard? Um, a uh, couple of recent happenings, just like things like the town branch trail that mm -hmm. leads you out of town to the distillery district, certainly providing more walkability. 
Um, from what I understand about our new convention center, the central bank um, downtown, that renovation is complete. I'm almost positive we can host, if I'm not mistaken, 96% of the conventions that happen in the country. Like there's only a few that require you to go to Vegas or Orlando or somewhere. Um, so we have a bunch of, of those. The distillery district continues to grow. We've got a brand new hotel opening down there soon. Um, so, you know, tourism is definitely driving a few of those things. I would say commercial property wise, whether it always happens in every project or not, I feel there's positivity from the city on urban infill development. You know, we need more housing units. That's no secret in Lexington. In fact, this year in central Kentucky, because I cover about five to six counties, mm. you know, call it like Scott County, Jessamine County to the, to the South of us, Mercer County, Clark County. Um, this was the first year ever there were more people living outside of Fayette County and commuting in to the county to work than in history. So in some ways, our lack of housing is our surrounding counties gains, um, which, you know, there's positives and negatives to that. But I've been to many of these places and I can tell you, Jessamine County is is quite charming. I mean, it's a fantastic place to live. Same with Scott County or, or others. So I think we're going to see a little bit of an easier time converting um, buildings and or properties to housing in infill type situations. That makes sense. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And Go ahead. Go ahead, Jeff. I'm just going to say all those other counties are going to start calling them the, the burbs of Lexington instead of the actual county. <laughs> that's where everybody's moving and it's kind of growing out. It's going to be all the neighborhoods are going to be out there and then go to the, the city of Lexington to, to do right. everything. So it's interesting. Now I myself, I myself live and work about, you know, within 10 minutes from each other, right. You know, I live right behind the football stadium. So personally, I love Lexington. Um, I love living there and, you know, being able to walk places, drive my offices five minutes away. So uh, but it's it's active things properties are moving the market's moving and it's a good place to work definitely no and it's interesting to hear your take because obviously the way that you know people operate within lexington although we're an hour apart you know there are different you know initiatives that are being taken on and the 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 the, the evolution of the city is different maybe than it is here in louisville i know here in louisville we got a lot of expansion coming on the east end along major mm -hmm. roadways and corridors like Bardstown Road for retail further south. Um, and so, you know, the the investment dollars as far as most, a lot of these newer developments are, are focused in those areas. But, you know, I know the city is really pushing hard to try to get more investment and involvement, especially with the, in the downtown uh, central business district for obvious reasons. I mean, a lot of those vacant office buildings, it doesn't do, you know, the, the downtown any justice, unfortunately. So hopefully going forward, you know, there'll be a lot more initiative in that regard. So. I hope so. Um, I guess you finish up that line of thinking with industrial, right? Mm -hmm. So Lexington is sort of right at the center and you guys are too. I mean, yeah. it's um, right at the, the cross of 64 and 75. Um, we have a lot of people call us looking for industrial space because Kentucky is within a day's drive of 80% of the country. Uh, and Louisville has sort of led the way. I mean, we're almost out of I-1, I-2 land. Um, in fact, the city in UK just traded. There's going to be a new 200-acre industrial park. I'm not sure how much of that is buildable, but um, 
you know, we're, we're just straight up out of land to build that product on. Um, whether, uh, whereas Louisville, obviously, if you go down to, um, oh, shoot, the name of the, the town just escaped me. Oh, Shepherdsville or Elizabeth. Shepherdsville. Yeah. Yep. If you get down to Shepherdsville, you mean you see millions and millions of square feet. You go over to Indiana, Southern Indiana to River River Ridge, Ridge you see, yeah. you know, millions of square feet. So being within a day's drive of 80% of the country is feeling a lot of what's happening around us. Yeah, absolutely. Shelby County's experiencing a large industrial boom out there. Which they, I think they, is yeah, that's they awesome. got the land. They got the land and they got mm-hmm. 64. And I mean they got the golden triangle is what they say. 64, 65, and 75, and you can get anywhere. Yeah. So. And I, I think I think it bodes well, really, really well for Kentucky as a whole. Um I again I think that you know you're gonna see a lot more companies, especially as reshoring starts to occur, because we're starting to see a lot of companies re re re-examine how they want to have their distribution handled, especially internationally when it comes to you know, maybe a potential future pandemic or any political turmoil that it could occur at, across the world. And so, you know, as you start seeing a lot more reshoring occur, you know, obviously the major market's going to be the major beneficiaries, but, you know, these our secondary slash tertiary markets are also going to have that overflow that occurs too. So I think it's going to be great for the, for the, the state as a whole. And not to mention the bourbon. The bourbon. I mean, I, I think yeah, it's unbelievable. From it's out, unbelievable. out of Kentucky, call me all the time, and they're like, "I don't think they realize how big of a deal it is." I mean, it's a nine billion dollar industry. So, as counties figure out the, like, for example, the idea of changing a zoning, tweaking a zoning law that allows you to put a rick house on farmland, and before you know it, you've got hundreds of thousands of tax dollars coming in from people building um, bourbon storage facilities and aging product there. And we need more and more and more of that. Some counties are doing that, some aren't, right? So we've done quite a few of those deals. Um, But I was just on a barrel pick with uh, a client who was nice enough to take me uh, and met him down at Buffalo Trace. I was blown away. You know, that was my first tour of Buffalo Trace. I've done others. Um, and done a, a lot of them here locally in Lexington, but to hear some of the stats about, you know, what, what, how Kentucky is export, what they're exporting, uh, but a $9 billion industry is, is yeah. really phenomenal. That's it keeps growing. It's unbelievable. I mean, Buffalo trace, luckily I've, I've had a chance to go down there a few times to the, the walking tour. Cause whenever people come in to visit from out of state, I always take them to, you know, the different distilleries. And you always have to call ahead, like you, you, in order for you mm-hmm. to even get on the the quote unquote free tour. It's like, good luck, man. You got to call ahead a few days in advance to make sure you can get a slot. So, that's awesome. right. So I'm trying to want to backtrack just a little um, when you first started, uh, or even before that. Um, what would be one piece of advice that you would give your younger self diving into um, commercial real estate? So I had a vision coming in, which was, um, it, it was sort of, a, you know, I, my background is from a, a Christian faith perspective. And, and I feel that commercial real estate was part of my journey of what sort of God had planned for my life. And I'm all, I'm a big picture guy. So I like big vision stuff. I'm a branding guy at heart. I'd always done marketing or something like that before. And I like to cast a wide net, try and make a, a wide impact. 
And coming into commercial real estate was the first time in my life where I had a vision to flip that. And so as opposed to going sort of as wide as possible at first, and what I tell people all the time is you have to do what is in front of you really, really well. And that was the vision. Take one thing, don't talk about it other than to complete it as excellently as possible. And so I did that with probably about 50 things, call it projects, deals, whether they were proposals that, you know, didn't work or deals that closed and made money um, with, a, with a happy client at the end of it. I sort of did that into the point where I felt like I could start writing about it and helping people understand my perspective. Um, and that was, gosh, that was probably two and a half, three years ago when I started writing on LinkedIn. Um, only this year, I sort of jumped into the Twitter community. There's a giant real estate Twitter community that has um, been extremely impressive to me. So yeah, if I was starting out again, I'd tell myself, do exactly what you did. Take some time to do what's right in front of you. Do it well um, and learn how to do the small things well. And then as that, as you do that, you get bigger and more responsibilities. Absolutely. No, that's some great advice. advice. Like narrowing your focus and really getting excellent at one thing is, is phenomenal advice regardless of the profession. And I, I'm curious, just out of curiosity, would you agree that, you know, because I, I also hear people, a lot, especially younger uh, professionals, they're always saying, like, I'm trying to find my passion when it comes to like whatever the their career choice is. But I'm of the mindset that you become passionate about something if you get excellent at it. If you're like an absolute rock star at something, you will naturally become more passionate about it. Like, I, I don't know many people who are, you know, passionate about per se, just the bricks and mortar. Maybe there, there are maybe some people out there that are just really fixated on the fact, oh, I love the way that these are constructed. But in, in my case, it's like I just I'm I'm very passionate about the fact that I get to help people on a day to day and I know I'm good at it and I know that they're getting value from it. That, in my in my opinion, where's where passion comes from. So I don't know if you have a similar outlook or if you. Yeah, I think. You know, in some ways you look at the industry and, and you can make a case that the standard is extremely high for excellence. In some ways you could look at the industry and say, well, the standard's pretty low. And so you immediately get passion in my case for thinking, you know, a couple of things. One is, can I raise the standard? I mean, I have a pretty high expectation of myself um, as far as integrity goes, as far as um, excellence goes in completing a project. And so jumping in was like, hey, I can raise the standard of this. You know, I, I can do this. And that felt really good early on and has come to fruition later, um, for sure. Um, the next thing is I think I'm, I'm really passionate about creativity. I like what you guys are doing. You know, like I said before, I'm a branding guy. I'm a content guy. Um, I, I started to sort of post on LinkedIn like everyone does early on about like just clothes with a banner. And two people, and one being my grandma, would react to it. And it's like, what am I doing here? Then I started to posting about what I was learning as I was doing the deals and interesting discoveries or tips and tricks along the way. And in some cases, hundreds of thousands of people would see it, you know, with yeah. hundreds of reacting to it. 
And so, you know, one of my passions in this is I realized early on, this is a learning community. The people that are, whether you're worth hundreds of millions of dollars or you're starting out as a broker worth nothing, you're probably in this business because you like to learn. You are curious. You are an entrepreneur. You understand that real estate can unlock a lot of opportunity in your life. Um, so, you know, that, that's sort of my, that's what fuels my passion is trying, driving towards excellence and driving towards creativity. That's amazing. Well, that's some great, great insight on that front. So one thing we like to ask near the end of a podcast is we, Jeff and I are both, you know, voracious readers. Um, and, and obviously we read all different types of books, not just necessarily commercial real estate focus. So I was just kind of curious if you yourself had a piece of a book that you feel like changed the course of your life or really was one of the most impactful books, essentially. Oh, man. Um, changed my life. Uh, I will say, you know, I, I, I read a ton of business books and I, I love nonfiction and I, I take a lot from them. You know, I missed, I mentioned, uh, if, I guess if you're, I, I, I'll just, since it's sitting right here, I would say read Thrive. If you're new in commercial real estate, you're wanting a, a book that is a game changer for you. Um, I'll mention too, I think Bo Beery, who's a fellow LinkedIn person, he wrote a book called Investors Who Dominate. Um, or elite investors. Uh, Multi, I think it's multifamily, multifamily investors who dominate or something like that, right? Yeah, multifamily investors who dominate. That's the exact title. Um, and in case Bo's listening, that's to me is the most genius thing that a broker could is think about it. He's a broker. He sells multifamily apartments. He wrote a book basically as a love letter to his favorite clients imagine sending your favorite clients and biggest clients a book and saying, Hey, by the way, I wrote this about you. You're an elite investor. It's worth its weight in gold. Like I love that idea. If I write a book at some point in my life, it'll be along those lines. Um, but interestingly enough, diving into Twitter in this last six months, there's a guy named Moses Kagan, who's a famous um, sort of a, a famous real estate Twitter guy. And he has a pretty cool uh, book list on his website. And so based on his recommendation, I started to read a little fiction. Um, and one of those books was A Gentleman in Moscow. Uh, and I would say that book changed my life. Um, that's the best novel I've ever read in my, in my whole life. So wow. I gave it to all my, my buddies, gave, it to, gave a copy to all of my buddies and coworkers for Christmas. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, I may have to add that to the list. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I'm a big nonfiction guy, but I've, I've dove into a few nonfiction books on recommendations from friends and all the ones that they've recommended have been ex excellent. So I think it's, I think it's really good to expand your horizons a bit outside of just business. Cause I think oh, yeah. you can gain inspiration from all different facets, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I've got a, I've got like a weird thing for presidential biographies. Like I've probably read hundreds of presidential Man. biographies me too me too um, i love them including including edmund morris's 2500 pages on teddy roosevelt and um there's a six volume set i read on lbj um which was which took forever it was crazy um grant ulysses s grant that was a great now is mm -hmm. it's a great one so. yeah 
Very misunderstood president for sure. Um, no, it, it's, it's unique to be able to gain those perspectives from individuals who, I mean, throughout time, I mean, they all had crises they had to deal with, you know, they're always put mm -hmm. in a position where they, it was a, it was a situation where you, you, you had to make a decision that could affect other people and they have to move, they have to execute. So mm -hmm. that's awesome. Well, Justin, as we start rounding out, I just want to say we appreciate all your time. Uh, love the story of how you got into commercial. I know everyone else will as well. Uh, but one of the things that we like to ask our guests towards the end is uh, we have a CRE treasure chest, which is a repository of things that uh, past guests have given uh, PDFs or eBooks or um, even things from their own market. Uh, and it's so our ask today and what are you willing to contribute to the treasure chest? Uh, I'll throw in, um, I think it's one of my most popular LinkedIn, uh, deals. Um, see if I can pull it up here. Um, but a few months ago I wrote a post about basically 10 things I had learned after a hundred plus closings mm. and got a quite, got quite a bit of uh or got quite a bit of good feedback on that i think the reason is because there's so much of an art to what we do certainly you could say it's a science with certain steps and a contractual you know progression of what needs to happen most of that's garbage you know as as anybody who knows listening to this closing stuff closing deals especially deals that get contentious um it's an art in a sense, and requires a team, not just a good broker, but great attorneys, great lenders, great buyers, great sellers, obviously. Um, but there were a few things, and I'll send this to you to, to put into the treasure chest, if you will, on, you know, just basically 10 things that I've, I've learned after doing that 100 plus times. Um, and, and I think it's proved to be helpful to people out there in the wild, um, based on the feedback I've gotten from it. That's great. No, we'll go ahead and include that. So the, so if you guys are watch or watch this on YouTube or listening to this in a podcast format, you know, you'll be able to access that on the CRE treasure chest site. So again, uh, you know, thanks so much, Justin, we do appreciate your time. So if people wanted to Anytime, you know, guys. Get, get in contact with you, you know, if they were, if they're looking in the, the Lexington market for any type of, uh, you know, property, or if they, if you just want, if they just want to reach out and ask questions or engage, how would they do that? Yeah, just, just email me, justin.rider, R-Y-D-E-R, -E like the truck, at SVN, Sam Victor Nancy, SVN.com. Um, Twitter handle is JT underscore Rider. Could be a good place to shoot a DM, search on LinkedIn. Um, but would love to have a conversation, especially about investment sales in Central Kentucky, multifamily um, type stuff. You know, we, we could really add some value there. That's amazing. Well, thanks again, Justin. We'll go ahead and include that in the show notes. So if you guys are watching this on YouTube, it'll be in the show notes. And if you guys are listening to this in a podcast format, again, go to the description. You'll be able to access all that information. So again, Justin, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy individual and we're looking forward to keeping in touch. Uh, as far as those individuals who are listening to us in a podcast format, we would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review. We've seen a significant uptick in our downloads as a result of you guys doing so. So please, please, please feel free to, uh, to leave a review. Along with that, if you guys are listening to this in a uh, YouTube format, please like and subscribe. It's made a huge impact on our ability to reach a broader audience, and it really does help the YouTube algorithm. So thanks again so much for tuning in, and we'll see you all next time.